So if you've been around for a little while, you may have heard me use this quote before. I think it's one of the most important ones of understanding one of the basics, one of the essentials of our tradition. It's by James Luther Adams, who was a Unitarian thinker and theologian in the past century. And he says, there is no such thing as the immaculate conception of an idea. There is no such thing as the immaculate conception of an idea. Basically, what he's saying here is scratch the surface of any concept, any idea, no matter how novel, no matter how daring, no matter how adventuresome it might seem. It isn't just one thing. It isn't just a finished product, pristine and absolutely clean. Many factors come into play to create something that is truly new. What he's saying here is it's really a relationship. Every idea is really a relationship between many different things. It is not just one single thing. And so there's a deeper spiritual claim in this idea that the heart of any revelation, anything entirely new, revealing itself to us, calling itself to us and us to itself. Revelation is at its heart a relationship. There is no place where relationship is not. And this is one of the reasons when I came to hear this quote many years ago, and I recognized that I absolutely, absolutely believed it. It's one of the reasons why I finally felt comfortable leaving a more doctrinal or dogmatic tradition. It's not that substantively dogmatic traditions were always wrong. Sometimes I really, really agreed with them. It was this, is that too many dogmatic traditions want to cover their tracks. Too many dogmatic traditions want to say that their ideas are unprecedented, that their ideas are immaculate. Or there is no preceding relationship that gives birth to them. And that is just not true, whether in theology or our own lives or in the natural world. Wherever there is something new, there is relationship. And we should not be ashamed and we should not want to cover our tracks. We should honor, rather, this dynamic process of the new emerging in wonderfully novel and configured ways from what was already there. This plays into today's movie. Julie and Julia, I just want to tweak it just a little bit. There is no such thing as the immaculate conception of a meal. There is no such thing as the immaculate conception of a meal, because really what the movie is about is the absolute joy of creation. It's about the joy of creation is the joy of relationship and the joy of relationship is the joy of creation. Now, I enjoyed this movie a great, great deal. I am a foodie. For those of you who know what that means, those of you who don't, well, you are not foodies. Hopefully you'll put up with what I'm talking about today. If I ever take a sabbatical from Wellsprings, one of the things I can guarantee you that I'm going to do is I'm going to go to culinary school for several months and really, really learn how to cook. I'm sort of, well, no one has ever self-taught anything, but I picked up a lot of things here and there over the years. I really want to get the real mastery of the techniques down. My two favorite places in the world, well, one of them's right here, one's the pulpit, the other is at home or in someone else's home, it's the kitchen, which is to say I love words and I love meals, which is what this movie is really about. It's about the joy of cooking and the joy of writing about cooking and the joy of writing about cooking so that cooking can be shared. And so on a different level, Julie and Julia really expresses one of the absolute basic, most wonderful truths of our free religious tradition, which is that before any written word, there is experience. 
And then there are words that describe that experience, which help to create more experience, which creates more words, which creates more experience about which more words are written so that more experience can be created. It reminds me in some ways of this image that some of you may have seen before. What's that? Mobius strip. The inside and the outside are the same thing. In fact, there is no inside. There is no outside. Not in a hard and fast way. Everything is in flux in a Mobius strip. You can be on the inside one second and then be on the outside. Another way to talk about this Mobius strip is that everything, everything in it is connected. There is no place where one thing ends and another begins. It is a continuum. It is a process that is creation. This story, this movie, is a story of connection across time and space. For those of you who have not read the book upon which is based or seen the movie, it is the story of two lives running parallel. It is the life of Julia Child, who probably all of us know to a certain extent, even if Dan Aykroyd slicing open his hand and gushing blood was our first experience of Julia Child, which was mine in the late 70s. It's amazing how he did that. He really did nail her in a wonderfully funny way. And it's also the life of Julie Powell, who decided in 2002, in the midst of a time of really sort of great personal despair, that she, what she needed was a challenge. She needed, in 2002, to cook all 524 recipes in Julia Child's masterwork, mastering the art of French cooking. Cook all 524 recipes in one year and blog about it. And also the cost that it exacted upon her life. Now, I do have to say, and if you've seen the movie, maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. I did like the Julia part more than the Julie part. I mean, let's face it. One part is in Paris. The other part's in Queens. I mean, the odds are stacked there. You know, I mean, I actually, my family comes from Queens originally, so I'm not putting down Queens. Queens has a lot of things to recommend it baseball team I don't like very much plays there but other than that Queens is okay but let's face it it's just not Paris and of course the other thing that the Julia part of the story has going for it is it includes Meryl Streep as Julia Child for whom there are no superlatives I can add to all the superlatives that have ever been said about her just to watch her is a gift to watch her is a grace and unfortunately the Julie part is could not be more woefully miscast. How many of you read the book, Julie and Julia? Have you read it? Well, Julie Adams is sprightly, she's spunky, she's fun, but we are supposed to believe that she is the actual person, Julie Powell. If you've read the book, she doesn't at all capture the intelligence, the instability, the creativity, and honestly, as she writes about her own self, sometimes the just complete unlikability of this character. It makes her really real. The Julie Powell story starts this way. She was working for the Downtown Manhattan Redevelopment Corporation in 2002, about a year after the attacks on September 11th. And what she did all day was field calls from people who were absolutely pissed off about the ideas that they were hearing for the monument that was going to be built. Or she heard these absolutely despairing stories from families who had been medically, personally, heartfully affected by the attacks on that day. And so almost in an act of countering the darkness, of countering despair, she decides to cook all those 524 recipes because she needs, needs this kind of affirmation, the fact that she can do something in which she's not always feeling like she's being put upon. 
And so the story is about the creation of Julie the chef and Julie the writer, and it is also about the creation of Julia Child. Sometimes when we look back upon the past and we see people who are often thought of as the most dynamic teachers, we forget that there was a process that led them to become who they were, that Julia Child was not always Julia Child. We see her, her as the bored housewife of an American diplomat in Paris in the late 1940s. Literally, she is trying on an American culinary cuisine and history would be very different. We see her trying on many different hats. She actually wants to take a course as a hat maker. Maybe if she had developed some talent there, there never would have been mastering the arts of French cooking. But she discards that hat. The story is also about being mentored. And I'd like you to think for just a second about your great mentors, the people who really brought out of you your gifts, the people who saw in you something, perhaps across time and across space, but the people who brought out in you those emergent qualities that you did not have or did not think you had in yourself. There is a quasi-devotional part of this movie, and it's really funny. It's also in the book as well, too. Towards the very end, when Julie is just about to finish doing all of those recipes, she goes to the Smithsonian, and she visits what's at the Smithsonian in this exhibit. It is the kitchen that Julia Child cooked in for all those years on television. And she waits for the exhibit to clear out. And she finds the perfect picture of Julia, you know, with that little badge she used to wear. And she's wearing the pearls and she's leaning in and she's showing you beef bourguignon or something that she's made that's absolutely delicious. And Julie Powell, almost like she's a pilgrim placing an altar, placing a gift on the altar. She takes a big hunk of butter and places it right underneath the picture. She is offering back to her mentor what her mentor has given her. She was an uncarved block. She has become sculpted and carved because of Julia Child. When we see the Julia Child story, we recognize there is no such thing as the immaculate conception of genius. There was a process by which Julia Child became Julia Child. Everyone, all of us, has a muse or muses. We are inspired by other people's dreams who they themselves were inspired by other people's dreams on and on and on and back through time i love that the fact the word ingredients we think of it just as something that goes into a dish but you know what the word ingredient actually means it means to step into to be an ingredient means that you are stepping in literally to a relationship to be an ingredient means that you are part of something, joyfully part of something. And there's this wonderful scene in the movie where we see, in the very beginning, Julia Child being served her first saumonière in Paris. And the look of joy that overcomes her face, you can tell the love affair that will follow her her entire life is beginning right there. If you're not a foodie, the idea of being served saumonière in Paris has no allure for you. For me, now started water as well, too. Lots of the wonderful parts of this movie are about the joys of being smitten, about the joys of cooking with and for someone that you love. Because just as cooking is a relationship between the ingredients, creating something new, so that many of us also use cooking for relationships. And there is vulnerability in this creation. One of the best parts of the Julie story 
is she is so honest in the book and in the movie about how mastery, how learning to master something tries you and you are tempted to let it go because it's too difficult and you push up to and sometimes beyond and then sometimes fall away from your boundaries and your limits. And through that process, you become yourself, but only through the difficulty and the vulnerability of facing your boundaries and your limits. I love at the one point she says when talking about her mistakes, Day after day after day, she says, this is kind of like my AA. Cooking these 524 recipes teaches me that I can only do it one day at a time. And that mistakes are part of the process. Now, is it all right if I share this? All right. Um, When my wife and I were just starting to date, I'm a foodie and I'm also a really good cook. Just to be blatant about it, you know, sometimes maybe I'll invite you over. You can sample for yourself. I'm a really good cook. And I did some of my, shall we say, wooing of Teresa, of my wife, through the kitchen. And, well, it worked because now we're married, I guess. There was that moment. There was that moment when Teresa first wanted to cook for me. She was a little less confident in the kitchen than I was. And so this. Night is now known, sort of in quotes, as the night of chicken and tears. (laughs) It started with a pan that was not hot enough to sear the chicken. It came out of the marinade and into the pot. And rather than searing and getting that great, crisp, charry kind of crust on it, it boiled. This was not what was supposed to happen. And especially the chicken, what you were asking for right there is rubbery. I could hear that there was some frustration coming from the kitchen. Can't quite repeat the words. And I, 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 I put, um, I, I leaned my head around the corner. Just didn't want to put my whole body in the line of fire. I sort of leaned my head around the corner and said, can I help? And the words that I could hear were, I need you to leave. I need you to go away. And I did. I did. The only thing I said is, don't be afraid to start over. That's what you did. The rest is a success story. Because because this creation, any relationship, is about vulnerability, is about messiness. The kitchen is not or should be not a dirty place, but a kitchen is very often a messy place. It's a place where creation is going on, and creation is not an orderly process mistakes are made and only if we admit right from the beginning that mistakes are made that is the way that we will learn what mastery is whether it's in the kitchen whether it's in the pulpit whether it's at your workplace whether it's at your craftsman's table wherever it is the permission to make mistakes and make them really badly and understand that you're going to make them is wonderful because that's the way that we learn And when we learn in this way, we recognize that creation is not a fixed content. True creation at its deepest level does not come with a manual. You will have guides, you will have mentors, but you will make mistakes. We will make mistakes, and that is a wonderful and blessed thing because we recognize our lives at their deepest, most wonderful levels are not immaculately conceived. They are conceived through the wonderful and messy process of our learning and our entering deeper into this mysterious reality into which we are 
all born. This is where I found this movie so congruent with the best of progressive spirituality. The name, the concept, the idea, if you will, of God in the Western world too often is made into a noun, a thing, an object to be placated or pleaded to or pleased so that somehow you will get what you deserve or want or desire. I think, however, that this understanding of God is simply just too small. I think instead that word that we use, God, that some of us use, is rather an invitation to an experience rather than a concept to be held and understood and grasped. Intellectually, this is the idea of what's called process theology. Instead of talking about God as a product or something that produces us, God instead is the process of entering ever deeper into this reality. Some process theologians, if you will, and I encourage you to Google this if you want to find out more about what process theology is. Process theology talks about the process of divinity as humanity becoming more mindful, ever more mindful of itself over time, drawing itself into deeper layers and levels of true mindful consciousness. In some way, this idea... We hear it a lot of different ways. I think it comes down to the idea that for many people, we want to replace the idea of God as a noun with the experience of God as a verb. Higher power, some of us might call it. That's this idea of verbing God, returning it to what the ancient Israelites saw, which is when Moses first encountered his understanding of the divine in the desert, said, who should I say is sending me back on this suicide mission to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh? And God, the holy, answers I am what I am is sending you. The Israelites first understood their conception of the divine as the most basic word in our language is. If you want to know the divine, get in touch with what is. Abraham Maslow talks about it in terms of peak experiences. Those moments where we see with true insight, depth, and clarity. How we talk about it at Wellsprings is in this way. That we can experience God without being able to define God. Because God is, by definition, this is a paradox, indefinable. We will never reach the end points of that word. And indeed, the word itself is just a word. God is not God's name, I'm pretty sure. Thich Nhat Hanh, writing in his wonderful little book, Living Buddha, Living Christ, talks about his relationships between his Buddhist tradition and those Christians with whom he had grown spiritually. And he very freely uses the word like gospel and the Holy Spirit. And finally, he comes to a wonderful conclusion. He says, discussing the Holy Spirit is not the best use of our time. Experiencing it is. And recognizing that the word can only scrape the surface. So I will also talk about a way to experience God here at Wellsprings is to live fully, love generously, and to be who we are called to be. To live fully, to love generously, and to be who we are called to be. Now, where are the hallmarks of this? I think there are really two things. One is responsibility, and the other is gratitude. Because we are part of a creation that is not finished, we are also called to be co-creators. We are either in some ways either helping life along 
or not helping life along. We are either living consciously or we are sleepwalking. Now, this movie, I want to say, which was a lot of fun, it also challenged me. And it gave me the idea to really see a movie that I know some of you have seen that I've probably been resisting a little bit too much. It's called Food Incorporated. Any of you seen it? It's this idea. We really ought to know where our food comes from. One of the great things about French cooking and the way that Julia Child puts it together is that you get into, literally and figuratively, the guts of the thing. In the 1940s in Paris, things did not come shrink-wrapped in little individual portions. You saw the whole creature. And so I want to see Food Incorporated because I want to understand more mindfully, as a co-creator, how it is that our food comes about. And understand that this will challenge me to perhaps make some different choices. So recognize that reality is at its basis a process, a relationship, and we are part of that relationship. Favoring it, helping it, or perhaps even hurting it calls us into this deeper and different level of responsibility. At the same time that there's responsibility, there is also just the basic experience of gratitude. That we are so close to this creation that we have the opportunity, indeed the blessed opportunity, to continue to create what is right here amongst us. In this creation, we perceive at its deepest level, touch anything, scratch the surface of your lives, and you will see that it is not six degrees of separation that keeps us distant. It is maybe just one or two degrees that separates us from everyone and everything. I referred to Thich Nhat Hanh before, and we use him week after week in our meditation. He has a wonderful meditation, wonderful idea. He says, take a look at this paper. Take a look at this paper. This paper proves the existence of everything. In this paper, we can see the sky and the clouds and the dirt and the air and the sun. Look a little deeper into this paper. He said, you will see even the logger that took down this tree that became this paper. And look even a little deeper than that. You will see the logger's parents and perhaps what the logger had for breakfast. You will see that although there is no independent self in this piece of paper, this piece of paper proves that everything exists. A simple sheet of paper, a relationship that shows that creation is right here with us right now. Recently, I heard a wonderful story that I want to close with. A little internet meme that I picked up. Maybe some of you have heard about it or seen it or read it. It's about a child, about four years old, who has an infant baby sister. And he requests of his parents, will you let me go in to her room and let me close the door one day? Because I just, I want to be with her. And the parents say, well, is this something dangerous? You know, why, did, why, why can't we be there? I said, no, 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 I want to be there myself. i got to be there myself. And they said, okay, we'll set up the baby monitor in the other room. So they're listening in. First they hear just silence. And they hear their son creeping closer to their daughter. And he says, tell me about God. I think I'm forgetting. 
this idea that perhaps infants are in some ways magically, mysteriously closer to the source of creation. That an infant is at its deepest basis a relationship. is something that would be so important for all of us, especially those of us who call ourselves adults, to remember. To remember to look upon this world with the eyes of responsibility and gratitude that become appreciation. So that we can see that everything is here right now. And we can remember how close we are to creation. That what seems far and distant is as close to us as we say every week as is our own breath. Another way to say it. There is revelation waiting to be born. Not immaculate, but messy. But revelation nonetheless. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Divine of this very instant. Creation unfolding itself in our midst right now. May we have the hearts, the minds to trust. To not look in the stories only of long ago or far away. And to not look to that time when we think that the creation will be perfected. But to know right here, right now. Here is messiness, here is perfection, here is life becoming, and here is life, everything that we need in it. May we awaken to ourselves, blessedly gifted with these acts of creation, and blessedly offering these gifts of creation beyond who we are. May we awaken and know this moment is holy. Amen.